So here's a sobering tale. A not-for-profit health care system over a period of four years enacted two initiatives to reduce hospital readmissions for patients with heart failure. Despite the fact that both programs reduced readmissions dramatically, the programs were discontinued. Why? Well, the hospital system lost money. That's a catch-22 no safety and improvement conscious organization can afford, choosing between doing the right thing for patients and financial stability. So that's our thorny but hugely important topic on this edition of WIHI. And welcome everyone to WIHI, a free online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan, IHI's Director of Communications and also producer and host of WIHI. We're going to stare down and wrestle with readmissions and finances with the help of our guests and with the help and with help from all of you, I'm sure. This is WIHI. I'm Madge Kaplan, and we're opening up the ledgers, or should I say Excel spreadsheets, uh, financial teams pour over in hospitals, perhaps now more than ever as the organizations seek to tie their costs and revenues to outcomes and processes that will not lead to patients bouncing back into the hospital unnecessarily. Payers are in many ways forcing the issue, but that doesn't make the work any easier. So I'm going to get right to introductions and a reminder that more details about our guests are available on the WIHI webpages on IHI.org. First on the phone, and I think he's in Grand Rapids, Michigan today. Is that true, Jeffrey? I am in Grand Rapids. Okay, so on the phone from Grand Rapids, Michigan, Jeffrey Burke. Jeff is the Director of Financial Decision Support at Spectrum Health. That's a not-for-profit integrated health system in West Michigan. Spectrum is a member of IHI's STAR initiative and committed to a goal of reducing readmissions by 30% before April 2013. STAR stands for State Action on Avoidable Rehospitalizations with grant support from the Commonwealth Fund. So welcome, Jeff. Good to have you with us. Thanks. It's great to be here. Okay. Not as far away, and we had hoped to get her into Boston here today, but also on the phone is Rosemary Roddy, Director of Financial Planning at UMass Memorial Healthcare based in Worcester, Massachusetts. UMass Memorial Health is also a member of STAR. Welcome, Rose. Hi, good afternoon. Terrific. Great to have you. And in the studio with me is Dr. Amy Boutwell. She's Director of Health Policy Strategy at IHI and a co-principal investigator for STAR. Amy, it's great to have you with us. Thanks to be here. All right. Amy was on one of my earliest shows way back when, (laughs) just before uh, the birth of her third child. So uh, we're, we're back here talking about readmissions. Uh, Amy and our two guests are part of a study group, I c- maybe I could call it, within STAR, working to better understand the dollars attached to patient admissions and readmissions, an exercise that's integral to the reducing readmissions work. So uh, we're getting the benefit of all of that. Now, Jesse mentioned that we typically uh, want to keep the chat closed so we can sort of lay some groundwork for you for about 20 minutes or so. I violate that every now and then with a quick uh, question or two at the top. So I hope all of you who are online, you do see that hand toggle. That sort of functions as raise your hand if true. Um, And anybody who's just on the phone, I will try and describe this for you. And uh, all the results, of course, will be on the recording and will be reflected, I'm sure, in the chat as well. So here are my two questions. And by the way, I want to say we just bumped over a 1,000 of you who have joined today, which is just fantastic. And I think uh, that's a measure of the importance of this issue. And that's gratifying. And we hope we can be helpful to you today. So here's my question number one. How many of you on the program are part of organizations that are actively involved in an initiative or perhaps more than one to reduce readmissions? And that could be whether it's in your hospital or in some other setting. So go ahead and raise your hand if you are. All right, that'll give our panelists some sense of how many people are. All right, the number is climbing. We're up to, let's see, 370. So, uh, We're uh, almost getting to half of all of you who've joined today, at least who are online and can use this function on the computer. 
curious to see where we're going to top out here. Whoops, we may be... 450. <laughs> 450, getting close, close, close. Okay, well, that's looking very, very good. So that says that uh, people are going to know very much of what we speak today, and uh, hopefully we can uh, sort of weave through this with some financial lenses that can also be really, really helpful. So we sort of topped out at around 440. Thank you. All right, here's my second question. Um, and this is sort of the more complicated one, which I started to talk about at the outset, the Catch-22. I'm wondering how many of you on the program have witnessed an initiative expiring or being discontinued because of revenue losses or because of the threat of revenue losses? I'd like to see how many people would put themselves in that category. Um, hopefully the numbers aren't as large, but um, it's a reality. Uh, despite all the best intentions. So we're topping out maybe about 80 or so. Okay, well, maybe we'd probably closer to 100. Okay, thank you very much. All right, that's good. That gives us kind of a snapshot. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you for answering those questions. Amy, any quick thoughts about seeing that? Does that sort of uh, reflect the reality? Absolutely, and and I think leads well to the the topic of the day. All right, very good. So I'm going to start off with Amy, and I'll bring in Jeff and Rose from their respective institutions. You can think of them as canaries in the coal mine of sort for us. They're really doing a lot of hard work, as are perhaps about a dozen others right now. Uh, trying to see what they can lay bare about finances uh, so that we all might benefit. So, Amy, my first question to you, because I think just want to make sure we all have a shared starting point. Tell us about STAR, what it's trying to do, and what the work looks like. Great. Thanks, Mads. Well, very briefly, the STAR initiative is active, uh, actively partnering with four states right now, Massachusetts, Michigan, Washington, and Ohio. And uh, we, are, we are working in a two-fold concurrent strategy to reduce rehospitalizations at the state level. So this takes takes the question beyond an individual provider or sector and says we need to work across organizations and uh, across traditional boundaries to really get a handle on um, on this problem. So so we're supporting teams um, in t- teams uh, through learning collaboratives in working across the continuum to improve processes in care care uh, at times of care transitions. And at the same time, we're working with public and private sector leaders in these states to understand what are the barriers that these teams encounter and by understanding the barriers we can hopefully work at a state level to um, accelerate the work and the success of these teams. So how did finances, it's sort of uh, kind of a silly question, of course it would come right up, but I also was wondering whether finances were almost the elephant in the room that nobody was quite sure how to talk about or touch. Exactly. Right from the beginning this issue um, has been studied from a a, a patient and a clinical perspective. Um, You know, we who are physicians um, are, are um, frustrated and, 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 and feel badly when we see our patients um, have to return to the hospital soon after discharge. Um, and we, we focus a lot on the clinical drivers. Um, and, however, the STAR initiative, one of the really um, interesting things uh, is that this is a voluntary initiative. And so we're asking providers to work in a voluntary manner because this is the right thing to do and the improved quality um, uh, goal for, uh, for, for their patients. However, uh, you don't need to, to look too far before you see that, that success in this domain um, uh, has an impact. A, we need to invest in improved services, and sometimes that means actual FTEs or actual uh, financial investment in the improved service. And then B, success uh, on our run charts uh, means that we are having fewer readmissions, and for some hospitals that means uh, a reduced volume overall. So very early um, on, uh, because we're taking this statewide look, Uh, We identified the financial impact of readmissions on providers as one of these barriers that we need to understand better so we can help our teams be successful. How serious is the financial impact from what you're seeing thus far? Can it be very serious or what's sort of the range? Well, uh, we're really fortunate to have our guests be able to to, 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 to share with us those details today. Uh, but from from our 30,000 uh, foot view, uh, we know that um, that that uh, um, there's a lot 
lot that can be done through voluntary quality improvement efforts. Um, and when we get really serious about saying how do we transform a state, how do we as a nation improve care coordination, we, we recognize that finances are, are a significant uh, portion of this. Uh, one uh, uh, or a few brief examples came from our early work uh, uh, when we started exploring this topic about a year ago. We heard from um, pioneers in this area uh, sharing with us, look, we have we've made the investment and we've achieved the goal. Uh, and the impact on our institution was just too great to be sustainable. And unfortunately, even though we are committed to the goal and we understand how important this work is, we had to stop that program. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the perspective with which we entered this deeper um, exploration. Okay. Thanks, Amy Batwell. This is WIHI. I'm Madge Kaplan. And I'm going to turn now to Jeffrey Burke in just a minute. Rosemary Roddy, we're talking about readmissions and uh, finances. And I'm so tempted to say readmissions and refinancing, but that's a program <laughs> on housing. And we won't get into that right now. All right. So, Jeffrey Burke, welcome again from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Tell us about Spectrum and what does the reducing readmissions work look like uh, in that system? Well, it's kind of a, a background or groundwork. Spectrum Health, as you said, is, is a not-for-profit integrated health system based out of Grand Rapids. Uh, we have seven hospitals, 140 different service sites, and about 2,000 systems that are bed system-wide with close to 1,000 in our flagship medical center. Uh, you know, when we started looking at readmissions, we, we looked at uh, the whole gamut of readmissions, uh, except for those related to uh, oncology chemo patients and OB patients. And in doing so, uh, that got uh, our, our total population to look at down to about 48,000 patients. Uh, we found that we had probably 10% of those were readmissions. So uh, a, a goal for us over the next uh, several years, I guess until 2013, is to reduce that by 30%. So that's a reduction of approximately 1,400 readmissions. Okay. Uh, Jeff, can you speak up just a little bit? You have a nice, soft-spoken uh, style here. Uh, to see if you can match my booming, brassy... No, I'm just kidding. Um, absolutely. Just, okay, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, the, the thing we found when we looked at our readmissions is, you know, they are, they are predominantly um, Medicare cases, and they are predominantly medical cases rather than surgical cases. Uh, we do make money on our readmissions at a contribution margin level of detail. Uh, reducing the 1,400 admissions per year is a, uh, a contribution margin impact of a loss of about $5 million to our organization. So if we, uh, if we achieve our goal, that's the uh, reward that we'll get for our efforts is a reduction in $5 million. Okay, okay. All right, well, those are the facts, and uh, they're stark, and I'm going to cycle back to you uh, in just a few minutes. Um, uh, after we hear from Rosemary, and then I'm going to have Amy talk a little bit about the sort of financial analysis that sort of leads or yields this information. And I think sort of our mantra today is uh, you, you can't sort start to sort this out or come up with a, other conclusions if you don't know the facts. And, and I think uh, so thank you, Jeff, for that. Um, I'm curious, Jeff, were you involved as a financial person in the system? Were you involved in this right from the get-go, or did you get pulled into it? I mean, was it understood that finance would need to be integral to this whole exploration? You know, I, I think there was some understanding, but still, I was, I was the elephant in the room that got pulled in uh, okay. when the project was already underway. Okay. I think we, we, we got into this with, it's the right thing to do, we need to do it, um, with our eyes open that, you know, the that uh, reimbursement mechanisms are going to drive this in the future anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, I wasn't you know, from the onset but pulled in subsequently. So one day somebody picked up the phone and said, get Jeff Burke in here. Okay, very good. Okay, thank you. Rosemary Roddy uh, out in Worcester, UMass Memorial Healthcare. So kind of similar, um, what does reducing readmissions work look like in your institution and maybe what are some of the, the sort of bold facts and then we'll kind of circle back to both of you uh, for some more details. Well, we did a, a similar analysis as to what Jeff was just outlining. We drilled into it. We took uh, 12 months of activity and then looked at the various um, discharge aspects, and we drilled into it 0 to 48 hours, 15 to 38 days, 3 days, 7 days, et cetera, all the four different categories on the readmit codes that you find in Meditech. And so 
we spend quite a bit of time drilling into the detail and actually have some similar um, aspects. It, there were over 4,000 readmits um, out of our baseline, which was 34,000, which excluded um, pediatrics, OBGYN. So it represented about 12% of the um, total case volume per year, or an average daily census of about 75, uh, which means the number of um, occupied beds, the average daily census in a hospital. So it does have significant impact to us as well. And, and what can you sort of do any sort of basic math for us, uh, if possible, uh, in terms of uh, just, I guess the bare question is, do you make money or lose money on readmitted patients? And therefore, if you were to reduce, if you were to sort of wipe out that uh, 12%, uh, does that currently represent a big loss in revenues? Well, what I do is I looked at it by payer mix, and then I also looked at it by service line and how the DRGs roll up. So the answer to the question is sometimes we make money. Collectively, we do for all the discharges. Collectively, we do from a um, direct cost contribution margin perspective. When you add in the indirects or the overhead costs, um, we do lose money um, from a bottom line perspective. And then there are some payers where we do better with them, which will make sense to folks, such as you know managed care, the commercial payers. When you start looking at the state payers, um, and some of the other, we have a, a pair here in Massachusetts called the um, Health Safety Net or the Free Care Pool mm -hmm. previously, and that, that represents um, a population where the margin is negative, actually. Okay. And then from a service line perspective, what we found was um, psychiatry. We lost money pretty much on every case. On all the readmitted cases? On all the readmitted cases, yeah. correct. Okay, so that's, uh, I think, the, uh, the the sort of interesting thing there that I think Amy's going to pick up on is sort of where you begin to find out some things, uh, that where there may be some opportunities. And maybe just before I, was, was that um, a surprise to you? I mean, was that something you would have known in advance? Um, well, I've done a lot of work uh, the past couple of years with the um, service line for psychiatry, and so it wasn't a total surprise. Um, what concerned me more, actually, in the drill down was that of they represented a significant amount in my zero to 48-hour readmit. Ah, okay. So that's a real, you know, flag right there. Okay. All right. Thank you, Rosemary and, and Jeff before her. And uh, again, this is WIHI, and we're talking about finances and readmissions. All right. I'm going to now go back to Amy, and Jesse's nicely going to get up that neat slide. And uh, this is something that's really part of the work that's done uh, with uh, the hospitals as part of this financial exploration. So we can't obviously do the whole tutorial on WIHI, but we're going to give you some flavor, a reminder, you can download all the slides uh, when you get off the program today. And for those of you joining by phone, uh, just email info at IHI.org and ask for the slides and we'll make sure to send them to you. So Amy, kind of walk us through this analysis. And this is sort of how this information we've just been hearing about bubbled up. It is. Thanks, Madge. Um, so when we started this uh, inquiry, we had uh, 64 teams in the STAR initiatives plus friends of IHI uh, who had approached us. And when we started asking our colleagues in the field, um, well, what is the financial impact? First of all, we heard what we cons what we considered conventional wisdom and and it turned out you know that the quotes were we stand to lose millions when medicare stops paying for readmissions or readmissions are already a financial loser for hospitals or well medicare doesn't pay us for readmissions or hospitals will be able to shift their low acuity chronic illness uh, readmissions to more high acuity patients so they should be fine and when when we heard this kind of sampling from from the field we 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 did the literature review and we did expert interviews and we, we realized 
uh, gee, this this analysis isn't commonplace right now, and and let's let's find a way, um, let's partner with um, with uh, willing uh, uh, CFOs in the field and finance directors in the field to to help us uh, develop a strategy um, to bring to uh, further teams in the Star Initiative as well as across the nation, so that they can do this analysis in a in a easy stepwise fashion. Uh, so so by partnering with 16 finance directors from uh, Star Hospitals around the country, we uh, asked asked and learned from them and eventually uh, developed this basically this 10-step uh, ten, ten uh, roadmap, we call it. Uh, and it really comes from both what we thought would be good questions or good information for finance officers to have in some, you know, s- uh, some, some of it involves the content of readmissions. We heard Jeff and Rose already say we excluded OB, we excluded pediatrics, and this is what our data looked like. And so we really started with, with um, some of of that. So the first is, you know, calc- we really recommend to calculate the all-cause 30-day readmission rate for the hospital, um, and and that in- includes um, excluding OB and pediatric patients. So you can get your number. Um, the field right now uh, can be focused on service lines or uh, disease-specific ways of looking at this, and we we really say number one is to to, to look at the all-cause. Uh, rates, and then and then we we have as you can see on this slide, and I won't walk you through it, but we basically say the 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 power here is uh, is um, asking the financial lead with the clinical lead who's leading the the readmission reduction program to review uh, just one personal, clinical, and financial story of a recently readmitted patient. And some some of our partners uh, went with many many more than one, but through through that one exercise. Of, of looking at the the um, uh, settings within the hospital as well as within the community, uh, the the uh, leaders, the financial and clinical leaders, really got a deep richness of you know this isn't quote just about readmissions. This is about utilization and understanding where our patients go. Uh, that really uh, uh, brought um, color and and meaning uh, we found to conducting the financial analysis, going way beyond what's on the Excel spreadsheet and saying, you know, these these are uh, these are the stories um, of of people who are moving in and out of our of our system, and now we can put some 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 data and some dollar signs to that. Uh, you know, you'll see uh, in we have uh, some of the basic uh, questions in three and four about what are the revenue expenses, direct, indirect, variable, and fixed costs associated with these. And our financial colleagues really um, have already touched on the uh, the the important. Um, uh, observations that come from understanding the impact on what it actually takes takes or costs to take care of these readmitted patients versus the overhead and 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 fully allocated costs uh, um, uh, at the end of the day. Um, and so we get in in the latter part of this roadmap to say how do readmissions today influence your bottom line? Because today is where we are working, um, you know, with these teams to improve transitions and to reduce rehospitalizations. And um, then we say, well, if you achieved your goal of reducing readmissions by X percent which costs would be affected and which costs, at least right now, would remain fixed. And then what's the ability to influence those fixed costs? Um, Again, in the near term and in the long term, um, I think there's a great appetite for reducing of uh, uh, or gaining operational efficiency and and, um, using lean methods to to uh, you know, take out what might be considered waste, um, you know, in an, in in any individual organization. However, what's the reality there for your organization, and how do you use that information uh, to plan? Um, um, and then finally, we we ask the um, we we ask the important questions of you know what surprised you and what what might be done as a result of this analysis. And um, it's it's we have really appreciated the uh, the generosity of of the finance leader that have partnered with us in developing this. Uh, after developing this, we tested it with a, a few other um, finance leaders, and um, in, and this has been found to, to be a helpful um, a helpful process and, and really raises some issues that um, 
quote, just readmissions uh, might narrow us in in a certain lens. And when we and when we ask our financial leaders and our colleagues to to join us in this analysis, it really the 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 scope of opportunity and information really expands in a very meaningful way. Okay, thanks. You've just been listening to Dr. Amy Boutwell describe this 10-step process for doing a financial analysis. And this is WIHI and I'm Madge Kaplan. Now back to you, Jeffrey, Jeff and Rose, Jeff out in uh, at the Spectrum System. Let me ask you, you ran through, or didn't run, I shouldn't say, <laughs> figuratively speaking, this analysis. I'm curious about any surprises and where you might see some opportunities uh, or anything you'd like to highlight about what, what the work uh, has meant. You know, one of the things we, we looked at is, you know, we, we weren't terribly surprised that our, our population uh, of readmissions was heavily towards the Medicare side, um, and we weren't terribly surprised that they were more medical cases than surgical cases. So empirically, it seemed to make sense that, you know, if we if it were a capacity issue and we could, you know, backfill the the occupancy with, you know, cases that are at our typical medical surgical mix and payer mix uh, that are being occupied by the readmissions right now, uh, we'd come out ahead in the long run. Um, so empirically, that kind of made sense to us. But what was really kind of eye-opening is when we went through the process of of going back and, and partnering with the, the clinical leader and to review the, the, the personal clinical and financial story of just, you know, a handful of recently readmitted patients. Um, and doing that, you know, the reasons for the readmission became uh, painfully, uh, I, I guess it was, it, was, it was rather painful to, to hear the stark truth of how these occurred, um, mostly due to uh, discharge instructions and things like that and, and just processes where there is a lot of opportunity to improve on our end. Okay. So you've definitely found uh, yourself uh, sort of uh, r- feeling that you have to redouble your efforts, that this, these are not experiences people should be going through and, and are still sort of trying to, to work the numbers. Rose, what about you at UMass Memorial? Um, in doing this analysis, kind of uh, any surprises and, and any opportunities also uh, that you're spotting? Well, it sounds like we had similar findings. Um, that Jeff had. We had Medicare was the highest payer, and also um, we found that the readmission problems were actually fairly um, common with regards to patient education. Um, Looking at it with clinical leadership, we found that it's important to start spending more time on better educating patients, working on the care transition aspect especially with a lot of patients being elderly, a lot of congestive heart failure, um, cardiac medicine type um, discharges as well. We know the elderly have so many obstacles and challenges that we need to be more proactive and assist them in the discharge planning. And with regards to that, we've created a pharmacy position um, over one of our campuses, the Memorial Campus, to provide support to patients with congestive heart failure provide follow-up calls and make sure that they're understanding their um, their medication, how to take it, when to take it, et cetera, what to look for. One of the concerns that we have is that patients will often seek out the path of least resistance. They'll go to the emergency department. It's easier for them as opposed to going to their primary care. The primary care may may not be able to see them for a few days, but they know if they go to the hospital emergency department, they'll be seen not the proper avenue for treatment. We want to try to discourage that if we can, and, and if we can make their transition better, hopefully we can make some inroads. Okay. All right. Well, it sounds like uh, one of the uh, kind of uh, goals of this program is to sort of give you a window on something that's we're in the middle of, clearly, of uh, all these teams. And there aren't simple solutions by any stretch. And uh, what I hear from both of you is uh, very much understanding where the clinical opportunities are. And I think sort of teasing out, you know, how to... 
sort of turn losses into gains or at least uh, coming out even is, is sort of still uh, underway. This is WIHI and I'm Madge Kaplan and you were just listening to Rose Roddy and Jeff Burke is on the phone from Michigan. Rose is here in Massachusetts at UMass Memorial. Dr. Amy Botwell is with us as, excuse me, Botwell is with us as well. I also wanted to just acknowledge that Marion Burl Johnson is with us as well who helps out tremendously in the STAR team and doing a lot of these analyses as well. So Jesse, I can see people crept into chat. They manage one way or another with some questions already, but let's remind, let's, let's go, if everybody's okay, if anybody wants to comment on anything that they've heard thus far, Amy, uh, before we open it up to further questions. Uh, just to just to, to to pick up where we are right now is um, is that we are uh, working with um, th- this work is cutting edge and uh, we have worked with uh, or learned so much from Jeff and Rose and we've encouraged hospitals and we encourage all of you to do uh, what Rose and Jeff have done which is to partner the clinical and financial perspective here as we uh, as as all uh, all hospitals and and other providers embark on this type of quality improvement initiative and uh, we're so um, interested in this uh, potential partnership between clinical and finance leaders for the sake of quality improvement and I wanted to highlight that this is a specific uh, goal of the HFMA, the Finance uh, Professional Association uh, to work closely with uh, um, to, to ask financial leaders to work closely with their clinical leaders this year. It's been specifically highlighted as a goal and this is a great opportunity to to test that and to uh, break down any side that may uh, exist in the organization um, to, to do that. In addition, we're seeing, a, a, I, I won't jump ahead on the chat questions, but just to get a, ahead of a couple basic questions that maybe I skipped over in the STAR initiative, we really in the STAR initiative, we focus on a patient-centered definition of what a readmission is. And the the the, the focus is, did the did the individual leave the hospital and come back for any reason? Uh, and we believe that that, that that focus, as opposed to a disease-specific focus of a heart failure discharge and a heart failure readmission, that that is the, the patient-centered focus, and eventually that will really help us with the design principles at hand um, to understand how patients use the hospital. Rose brought up some important points, um, how they use the hospital and use the emergency room. Um, uh, many of the non non-medical issues here are implicated in um, readmissions. And so it's education, it's care coordination, it's understanding what community-based services are available. And when we look at the entire patient journey across settings and why they're coming back to our ED or our our, um, inpatient units, uh, those issues are really of paramount importance, at least as far as we've learned um, over the past um, several years at IHI. And so uh, just to, to get ahead of some of those questions that we're seeing in the chat, I wanted to, to oh. share that. Okay, very good. Well, thank you. Uh, Jesse, I don't even know if you have to explain to people how to use chat, but maybe that will help people make sure to just chat it into all participants instead of Certainly. panelists as so well. Certainly. <laughs> so the, the chat room is now open in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen. As Madge mentioned, please make sure to send those messages to all participants. That way everyone uh, on our program today can see the questions as they're coming in. Uh, and one kind of interesting one, I think yeah. it'll be a quick one. Okay. Um, William Gross asked, did any of the financial analysts compute the opportunity cost of readmissions at the margin? So taking a bed out of service for a readmission that would have filled been filled by an incoming patient. All right. Well, let's uh, put it to, to Jeff or Rose. Go ahead. Jeff, first you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, we the opportunity cost really is um, – it, it worked out to be about, I think, $1,500 difference, if that's the question you're asking. You know, our, our contribution par- margin for a readmission was $3,400. Uh, our contribution margin for our average in ca- inpatient case was, was $4,900. So if we, you know, take the readmission out and can, can fill it with our average patient, then we pick up $1,500 on that case. Okay. All right. Thanks. Ro- thank you. Rose? Yeah, we'd much rather fill a bed with a surgical case, um, like an orthopedic um, type case, as opposed to a readmission. Um, That's an absolute, especially with regards to the average length of stay. Um, As finance folks know, the longer the patient stays, the less 
from a margin perspective, the hospital can keep. And what I found was the average length of stay for all readmits was um, six and a half days, whereas our norm is closer to four and a half days. So right there, we know we're losing on a, on a per case basis. Okay, very good. Thank you, Rose. All right, one question. Thank you all for the chatted questions, and we'll try and get to them, and anyone should feel free to uh, converse with one another in chat if you so choose. So there is a question which people want to understand about the exclusion of OB in pediatrics. Amy? Oh, sure. Um, basically, the... Uh, the, at, at least from our perspective in the STAR initiative, uh, OB is typically the one of the greatest volume um, uh, volume drivers in a hospital. And to be sure, there are important issues at times of transition for maternal uh, discharges and, and newborns. However, when when you include OB in the in the denominator, your readmission rate gets com very much diluted. Uh, and so, uh, if if your hospital's uh, readmission rate inclusive of OB is six or seven percent when you take uh, those discharges uh, out of the denominator you get something a little bit more reflective of um, where the concern is you know 12 13 percent or something like that and so it's it's really uh, to, to say that the transition issues and the um, education issues uh, are important but um, that population is uh, we, we we typically do exclude as far as pediatrics it's a very important and interesting um, conversation um, Again, pediatric patients have very important and, and um, distinct care needs, inclusive of education and having a, a complete care plan and, and connection with the community. Uh, it happens to be that you heard our finance colleagues and, and, and uh, state that the majority of their readmissions are in uh, Medicare patients, and uh, furthermore, the majority of, um, of the non-Medicare patients are still adults. Uh, and so again, just in, in terms of focusing on the adult medical surgical population, We've made that um, uh, we, we've made those exclusions, but but they are up for um, they're they're up for your own review and, and analysis on that. Okay, thank you, Amy. Uh, a question has been asked, and I'm not sure people are there yet. But is there a way to kind of tease this out where improved care coordination, uh, in fact? is uh, where revenues uh, are regained or gained at all. Uh, either Jeff or Rose, are you kind of uh, have any sense of that yet from any of your analyses? Yeah, um, you know, I, I don't know that we have a sense for uh, increased revenue opportunities from improved care coordination. I think that um, we feel that there ultimately will be some cost savings from improved care coordination, however. Uh, in the short term, those cost savings aren't there because there are a number of, of processes that we, we kind of re-engineer or that we're, we're trying to re-engineer to handle things like discharge instructions and the patient handovers and transitions and, and just some cultural changes that, you know, are, are going to cost real dollars to implement. Uh, but we, we're not at a point yet where we're able to, to measure the impact of that. Okay, Rose? Yeah, we actually haven't looked at that um, yet either, and I don't think we're quite ready to, to um, do that. But it definitely makes um, great improvements in the patient care if we can coordinate it um, with the primary care physicians and the other subspecialties that are either employed in our organization or out in the community. And I think I think that's important for healthcare in general. It's important that um, we start utilizing the the primary care doctors better, and again, the subspecialists, and also home health agencies as well. So, Madge, I'll just add here. Here, here's the rub: is that we is that we know we yep. can do better, right? And we know we can do better through some very practical, straightforward. Um, uh, you know, they, it doesn't mean they're easy, uh, but some very practical steps of of improving care coordination and and, and linking to community-based services. Um, from a uh, uh, from one perspective, that that might be done through um, doctors, nurses, and case managers on a daily basis, uh, making some changes in our standard work. But uh, we, we have a, or in addition, we have a, a vast predominance of the literature and the best practice involves adding 
some services, adding uh, nurse care coordinators or other uh, patient care navigators or discharge advocates to the process in order to ensure that these processes are done uh, completely and, and reliably. Uh, and in the short term, we are struggling, or I'll just say an observation again from the 30,000 foot level is we can recognize uh, best practices in where uh, promising approaches lie, uh, but we are we in the STAR initiative are, are very pragmatically trying to support our teams doing uh, uh, improving their care today without those rewards for better care coordination in today's environment. Certainly we see um, and I think Jeff and Rose could speak to this. We see um, finance officers um, and, and other leaders in the healthcare field looking toward a future payment changes, uh, whether they're payment penalties or bundled care um, or uh, b bundled episodes of care or other arrangements um, in which uh, improved care coordination would pay. And we all look toward uh, toward those as, as potentially promising opportunities, but they're not today's reality. So how do we get from 2010 to 2012, making progress quarter in and quarter out um, in, in the absence of those payment changes. Right. I mean, in the future, no hospital is an island, uh, perhaps looking at the finances as well, if there's going to be some shared responsibility uh, on the financial side. And that does get to a number of questions people are sort of asking about sort of parsing things and what do you understand about readmits in terms of where people come back from? Are they coming back from home? Are they coming back from nursing homes? Are they coming back from rehab. Um, I'm curious, Jeff or Rose, is that part of any analysis that either of you have done in terms of a breakdown that sort of sees where people were discharged to and where they're coming back from? Half of our readmissions uh, come from home or self-care. You know, we, we track our read, we, we looked at our readmission population and, and looked at what their what their previous discharge disposition was and, you know, roughly 48% was home or, home or self-care. Okay, okay. And Rose? Yeah, our um, discharge disposition, home and self-care was 36%, home health care was 24%, and skilled nursing facilities were 21%. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Rose, and I'm curious, as you look at that, what, what, what kind of discussion ensues as you sort of see that, that data? Uh, give us any kind of a window of uh, when you look at that, where, where are there opportunities or what, what would be a step uh, forward in that one? Well, the, the second and third one, the home health care and the skilled nursing facility, and then we start getting into acute rehab and long-term care. So you're right, a lot of it is uh, more um, community-based, and I think there's definitely some that we can take to work more collaboratively with those organizations, with the case managers, the RN teams at the various sites, especially um, especially some of our partners locally. I think we can make some significant changes with patient education. Medication management seems to be a big one. Medication management. Okay, very, very good. There's a thanks, Rose. There was uh, also a question about sort of to what degree the emergency department uh, is in any way kind of uh, shows up on the screen. Uh, Jeff, can I ask you about that in terms of readmits? Um, whether they're coming through, well, I've, I've seen a, a number of questions come up through the emergency department. Yeah. Um, yeah, sort of you know, whether I, or not the emergency department is a kind of, uh, you could imagine, I guess people might be being sent home from, from emergency to begin with and sort of just where they figure into the analysis. Um, you know, if they're not being sent home from the emergency department because if they're, if they're readmission, they, they actually came had to, had to be admitted yep. before being sent uh -huh. home. Yep. Um, you know, we, we may, we, we haven't really done a lot of work to try and figure out if, if reducing readmissions is going to have a, a tangible effect on, on throughput through the emergency department or how many are coming through there, uh, we do probably 170,000 visits in our ED each year. And so reducing our, our goal of 1,400 admissions, even if they all came through, the, the ED isn't going to material affect throughput from it. Um, that being said, though, I, I think there, there's a valid point to be made that a lot of the, that Rose had alluded to earlier was that a lot of the admissions probably or readmissions probably are coming through there 
because patients are being readmitted because they, they fail to understand discharge instructions, we fail to communicate them properly, um, the medication is not properly management, managed, and they've okay. come through the, the easiest point of access to us. Okay. Uh, Go ahead. Amy? Yeah. Um, I'll just share uh, a observation that one um, executive shared with me was that uh, they, uh, at one system, they had reduced their rehospitalizations by 5%. Uh, but when he looked at um, where those the, the the complete story of those patients who were not rehospitalized, he found that that among the 5% um, uh, uh, population that was re had reduced readmissions, 80% of those averted readmissions were coming back as observation stays. So they don't show up in the uh, readmission uh, data, but uh, we're still having them uh, need, these patients still need a clinical touch point. And so we're using, you know, we're using the observation uh, uh, opportunity to, to, to monitor and help these patients, um, but they're still coming back. And so when we expand our, our concept of the definition of readmission as a as a discharge from an inpatient setting to a readmission to an inpatient setting, uh, we uh, that that's one view, and then an interesting other view is to say, did we discharge them, and did they come back to the ED or to OBS, which is a different status, would be a different data run um, for any reason, and what does that mean? Uh, what does that mean for our transitional care and for our coordination with the community? Okay, thanks. Uh, really, the questions here are deep, <laughs> deep and wide, and I'm trying to sort of scroll through them and uh, pick out uh, varieties. One, if we end up being left over with a lot of questions, we will figure out some way to maybe get some answers uh, to you afterwards. Jim uh, is asking, isn't the opportunity cost approach a bit flawed since we aren't anywhere near capacity and there usually isn't another patient waiting to take that bed or surgical case currently occupied by a readmitted patient? I agree, we don't want to spend money on a readmission, but to think that doing so is preventing us from treating another patient may be erroneous. So let me throw that to Amy and then perhaps uh, to the two of you as well, Jeff and Rose. You know, one um, one hospital that partnered with us in this analysis was a small community hospital, typical of, of maybe where uh, Jim is, is coming from. And uh, there, they have 80 inpatient beds. And when they looked at their data, they realized that on any given day, 12 of the patients in their 80 inpatient beds were, were patients who, had, who were readmitted within the past 30 days. And when they think about what the impact um, of, of reducing those 12 readmitted beds, again, not to zero, and I see some chat talking about the goal is not zero. It's to be reduced by some some amount. Let's just say 30%. Uh, to reduce to to reduce those um, patient uh, bed days uh, by 30% uh, would not on uh, would not materially um, influence uh, their their fixed costs. There are some variable costs uh, that might be influenced in, in uh, that may be influenced by reducing staffing or materials. Um, but really, when you're thinking about one to two patients a day you're really not hardly even touching nursing staffing or pharmacy or dietary um, type staffing. And so um, it uh, this this was a this was a hospital like Jim uh, was mentioning that does not anticipate um, uh, latent demand and if if the bed was not full it would go empty um, and they would not be filling it with a higher DRG or a, a, a surgical elective admission so these are the these are the um, this is the data really that's at the heart of the the, the, the questions and we're saying you know we, we might not have answers uh, for these questions uh, there are many many good um, suggestions being put into the chat right now and some great opportunities for improvement but but what we're uh, asking our, our or we're, what we're suggesting hospitals do is at least know this data so that they can use it in their planning and their and their strategy okay thanks a lot Amy um, I want to see if um, Jeff and Rose have any thoughts on this but I also want to just acknowledge something very quickly in chat uh, there's been I can't quite find where it began but there's been some discussion about a readmit risk assessment tool and I'm not sure who <laughs> who got going on that, uh, but rather than have you all uh, feel like you have to put your 
your email addresses in it. If you would just let us know, then we'll make sure to put it in the resource document that will be available on our website. Um, the other thing is that uh, somebody was asking about a lot of data. Um, so WIHI uh, sort of deliberately doesn't use a ton of slides. We're trying to sort of listen and, and work with it with our ears here most of all. Um, and uh, I realize it's true. We do have a lot of pictures of our speakers that come round and round. We had a few slides up here. Uh, there may be others uh, that we can share with you. I, again, this resource document that we'll post to the website will be available later today or early tomorrow morning in the archive section has quite a bit of material. Another option may be, and we can talk with Amy and the team about this, is if you have additional questions uh, for the hospitals that are here uh, that maybe uh, the STAR group might be able to answer uh, to kind of further the learning and discussion, we'll work on that. Um, there, uh, so let me just throw it back to you, Jeff and Rose, again, uh, this whole question about um, sort of working out uh, the issue about bed space and uh, whether or not, in fact, uh, sort of the, the assumptions uh, are, are always the right ones in terms of whether uh, the bed would be filled anyway. Yeah, from our perspective, I mean, the, the attendee was, was absolutely correct. If you're not at capacity, then it, then it is a real dollar loss. Um, the reality for us is we are actually constrained by capacity at certain times throughout the year. Uh, where we, we we have long waits for beds, uh, uh, you know, or we've had to transfer patients as well. Uh, so it really is an opportunity cost that we found. Okay. Rose? Yes, I, I agree. Um, one thing that we did that's been very helpful as far as getting patients um, into the right setting, we created what they call a clinical decision unit in our emergency department. And so it gets a patient from the ED into an observation bed relatively quickly so they can, especially um, with like an MI type case, so they can get the, the diagnostics started right away. And so that's kind of helped the, the flow from the ED into this clinical decision unit and then to a floor as necessary. Um, but we are often constrained also by um, lack of beds. So it, you have seasonal effective issues and yep. then you have, um, you just have oddities. You know, recently we had, um, had a full house and so there are challenges and you don't always know what's driving them. Okay, Amy? Yeah. So I think one of the key lessons that, that we noticed uh, by partnering with a variety of hospitals that have a variety of different um, uh, dynamics is that uh, we, uh, we, we as the STAR Initiative uh, or IHI wouldn't come forth and say this is the, the answer for hospitals in, in the aggregate because we're, what we're hearing is that the, the market dynamics, the patient flow dynamics, the seasonal variation the, um, uh, is very, very different hospital to hospital, which is why we hope encouraging um, uh, individual hospitals to do this analysis for themselves is really where uh, the rich and deep information exists. Um, we can listen to the experience of other hospitals um, uh, and, and to inform us why that the you know what kind of information this analysis uh, may may bring to light, uh, and ultimately I think it's just really important to stress that your hospital is is individual, and uh, and um, uh, there are certain themes that arise, but certainly the the dynamics will will differ market to market. Okay, interesting question. Thanks, Amy uh, and Rose. Before her, is there a correlation between risk risk of readmission and the financial impact of readmission? So. So has anybody sort of looked at that uh, in, a, in a sense, and that might be sort of that risk of readmission tool, and uh, therefore um, it, it could be a sort of a way to sort of track and be, you know, have a kind of heightened <laughs> uh, both clinical and financial hat on as well. Uh, any, anybody want to want to tackle that, uh, Amy or Jeff or Rose? Actually, I'm not familiar with that, tell you the truth. I okay. imagine you could probably set up certain um, right. like tracking systems, age, disease, et cetera. Right. Okay, okay. I don't know if that's even wise. What do you think, Amy? Well, the um, <clears throat> we know that, that risk of readmission uh, has some... Co, you know, covariates. Um, we've seen socioeconomic status, medical complexity, social complexity, um, uh, and, and, and other factors. Um, and when we think of the risk of readmission and the financial risk of readmission, I think um, 
we recognize that when, when patients with medical or social complexity come back to the hospital, um, uh, there, there may be a opportunity to recognize that, that these folks are complicated and so they may their readmission, they may need to stay in the hospital longer. So if we take, if we can identify them and proactively get them the coordination and the self-management support and community-based supports that they need, perhaps they wouldn't have a readmission that results in a longer secondary stay. Uh, and but, but in terms of a formal analysis, I haven't seen anything like that. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. Just very quickly, I do want to say, uh, laced throughout a lot of the questions and comments here, is the fact of uh, these readmission payment reductions that are scheduled for CMS uh, for 2012. And IHI is offering a timely two-day Seminar called Reducing Avoidable Readmissions by Improving Transitions in Care. That's going to take place November 16th and 17th in Washington, D.C., and you can find more information about that on the website if you would like. Uh, I just, we're, we're sort of heading towards uh, the top of the hour here. One uh, question or opine in here is a little bit that. Uh, on the one hand, we can sort of see where, where things are headed in terms of reimbursement. On the other hand, uh, various people here are commenting that uh, maybe CMS and perhaps other payers don't appreciate the resources uh, and uh, the finances needed to uh, actually support some of the changes. Uh, I, I guess there's no easy answer to that, but in terms of case management, other kinds of things. So, Amy, how do you, if, if it's a sort of zero sum and you can't necessarily count on a whole lot more resources uh, or investments, how do we get out of that sort of way of thinking about it? Well, I think we have, uh, I, I, there are certainly, uh, it, it's a sticky issue and one that needs to be addressed, but there are some promising opportunities. You know, we, 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 we see payers um, starting to want to invest um, in payer-based um, initiatives. And, and that's, that's great, and certainly the literature has some best practices and, and some articles published on um, how care care transitions um, improvements can be cost effective. The challenge is, of course, from the provider perspective, um, for whom is it cost effective? It's effective for patients. It's the right thing and better care for patients. Sometimes, uh, mostly it um, may save the payer uh, some money. If they invest in this, they will reap the benefits of the foregone utilization. So the opportunity may lie in um, in sharing the gains with um, with providers when they um, invest in and successfully deliver improved care at times of transitions. Perhaps uh, there are opportunities for uh, you know what might be called gain sharing um, or other type of uh, financial arrangements to recognize uh, the improvements and the savings to the payer uh, can can also be shared with the providers. That's not the only um, example, but the uh, Medicare High Cost Beneficiary Demonstration Project um, uh, 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 demonstrated that that when um, when the providers in, um, provide the improved care coordination, you know, ED visits, observation visits, utilization in a variety of manner, uh, variety of ways went down for a very complex patient population. And we'll put this reference into the uh, in, into the uh, 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 resource document. Uh, resource document. Yep. Uh, but but those are some of the good ideas out there on on how we can create uh, better create opportunities for providers to really um, be supported and recognized for the improvements that they're making. Okay, very good. All right. Well, we're getting. We're actually at the top of the hour, and I just want to give Jeff and Rose uh, just some part, opportunity for some parting shots. People asked a lot of deep questions. Uh, we tried something a little different. I think sometimes it's challenging to talk about, you know, finances. We're not all here with pencil and pen and our spreadsheets and shared uh, screens here, looking at numbers and crunching. So I hope you uh, will bear with us. We we are. I think we wanted to kind of throw a pebble in a pond, and uh, we look forward to any further questions. Again, if you have some info at IHI.org. Jeff, uh, any parting thoughts, uh, kind of what we, if we came back and talked to you in six months, uh, what do you think uh, might, might be different than where you are right now? You know, I, I think a lot of the talk has been that there's a lot of concern out there that reducing readmissions takes, takes uh, patients out of beds and that ultimately hurts the bottom line. And, and while I don't disagree with that, uh, my thought is that it doesn't matter because it, it's coming anyway with, with payment reform. Um, 
so we can figure out what it means now or we can wait till, till it happens to us. And, and from our perspective, we'd, we'd much rather figure out what it means now and, and be in a position to address it now than to, to wait and have it happen. All right. Well, thanks, Jeff. And it sounds like, you know, there's an awful lot of information being swapped on the chat where people are kind of uh, absolutely uh, eating up a lot of the different tools and resources that are out there to do just that, to be acting now. Rose, some parting thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Jeff. I think, you know, taking a proactive approach and uh, what we're doing here at UMass is we're starting, we've put together service line teams and I think this is good work for our service line teams to start to look at, such as our cardiac service line team. They could work with the, uh, the case managers on the units, work with the physicians, and I think we can absolutely make some improvements in the care transition. Okay, thanks so much, uh, Rose Roddy, Jeff Burke out in uh, Michigan, and Amy Boutwell, Dr. Amy Boutwell here in the studio, and her colleague, uh, Marion Burl-Johnson, uh, really, who d- did so much behind the scenes, all of you, really, to help me prepare for today. Definitely download this chat when you folks get off today. It's chock full. Uh, please uh, go to the website uh, later today or first thing tomorrow, and you'll see an archived version of this program along with the resource document. We hope you'll take advantage of it and tell others about it. You can also uh, listen to the audio again there or you can find it on iTunes. Next up on WIHI on October 21st at 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, the power to detect and reduce harm, IHI's global trigger tool and adverse events in the U.S. We're awaiting a timely report from the Office of Inspector General, HHS, on harm, and we're going to be digging into the findings and explore their significance and the emerging solutions for better detecting and reducing harm. You can enroll in that program right now if you go to the WIHI webpages on IHI.org. You just click on that WIHI logo. Logo, I should say. Again, you can download the chat. You can download the slides that we did have today. We ask that you complete a brief survey. If you don't mind, we're always trying to improve. The people who help make WIHI possible are Mike Sweeney, Jesse McCall, Alan Olison, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, Matt Morse, and Vicki Minden. And then we have this nice bit of music that opens and closes the program. Their original arrangements by Aaron Flanders on guitar and Miguel Sapasoa on piano. So again, a big thank you to all the guests, uh, all your active participation. I'd say there's tremendous activity going on out there. So this is a rich area, and we'll be back to this topic, I'm sure, sooner rather than later. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving patient care most of all. For the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>